Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So uh, we were having a discussion last week, and it came up that uh, the subject came up that Kat really hates black sleeveless T-shirts on guys. Of course, I immediately ordered one because I was going to surprise you with it on our next date night. So I'm waiting for the package to show up. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. I get a notification. It says it's been delivered. I don't see it anywhere. I ask, Kat, where's my shirt? Have you seen Have you seen a package that I ordered? And your response was? No. Yeah, well, I found my shirt. No. Kat had, <laughs> Kat had intercepted my purchase. No. Taken it out of the box, uh, soaked it in water, and put it in the freezer. I don't know what you're talking about. I found my new shirt frozen in the freezer, Next to a bag of peas and Mrs. Paul's lightly battered fish sticks. Okay, first of all, everyone knows you're exaggerating because we never have fish sticks. I feel like you deserve it. Yeah, yep. You feel I deserve it. (laughs) (laughs) It would have been so funny, though, on date night, me just show up in my black sleeveless t-shirt. Not as funny as finding your shirt frozen. I'll give you that. That that was pretty funny. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, if you're looking for your tampons, (laughs) they're, they're in a popsicle box in the freezer. Nice. Nice. So welcome back to the Box of Oddities, you beautiful freak. So this propane gas guy is making a delivery to a business, which is kind of rural. It's kind of out of the way. Mm-hmm. He he goes out there and he's he's filling up the gas tanks and he sees what he thinks are body parts on the other side of the fence. So he calls the sheriff's department and said, hey, I, I was out at this location and it looked like there were bodies out there. And they went, okay. And so they sent people out to look and they didn't they didn't see anything. Sure. So some time goes by and the gas man goes back to fill up the tanks again. This time he sees piles of rotting bodies. 
<laughs> well, he claims. Uh-huh. So he he calls the sheriff's department and they go and they say and they and they look around and they went, Well, looks like there's piles of rotting corpses out here. <laughs> what? This idea came to me in an email from Chris, who said you should cover the Ray Brent Marsh Tri-State Crematorium incident. One of the worst things ever to happen in Georgia. According to Wikipedia, the Tri-State Crematorium, located in the noble community in northwest Georgia, came to national attention uh, in 2002 when over 300 bodies that had been consigned to the crematorium for proper disposal were never cremated. Oh, it's so awful. But instead, we're just dumped on the uh, crematorium site. They just piled them up in sheds and out in the yard. They were making their own body farm, more or less. Of course, when it was discovered, people were kind of upset. Sure. And, and it led to civil litigation and criminal prosecutions. Now, the crematorium was, was founded by... <laughs> I have so many questions. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> the crematorium was founded by a guy named Tommy Marsh. In the mid-70s. He sounds like a um, singer-songwriter. It was located in northwest Georgia, north of the city of Lafayette. Uh, it provided uh, cremation services for a number of funeral homes, not just in Georgia, but in other states as well, like Alabama and Tennessee. And uh, for many communities, it was the first time cremation was an option in those communities. Yeah. It had been previously difficult to uh, to obtain. And for years, it ran like clockwork. There was no problem. Sure. Marsh was a respected businessman. He even ran for medical examiner of Walker County and lost by less than 100, bo- 100 votes. Ooh, it would be fun if it was by 100 votes. Like, that's how you... Yeah, I'm you sorry. You cast for your ballot. Your short 100 seagoing vessels. Uh, please don't demand a recount. We don't have the room. Go ahead. So Tommy Marsh's health began to deteriorate in the mid-90s, and his son, Ray Brent Marsh, took over the business. So fast forward to 2002, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency office in Atlanta received an anonymous tip that something was amiss. The officers sent to investigate the property discovered a skull and some bones that were human in origin. The original human skull and bones went missing, though, later during the uh, litigation. I'm sorry, where did they find that skull and bones? Was it like... Just in the yard. Just hanging out? Yeah. Okay. Previously, a propane delivery truck driver had complained on at least two occasions to Walker County Sheriff's Department about seeing bodies out on the Marsh property when he's out there delivering propane for the crematorium ovens. It just seems like such lackadaisical um, oversight. (laughs) The the first call that said, I'm just seeing some bodies here, really should have been the end of this story. You would think so. Yeah, he's out there. He's he's filling up the propane tanks. (laughs) Yep. And the uh, so, so the first call did result in uh, the deputy showing up, and they didn't discover anything unusual. I don't understand. How's that possible? <clears throat> but on February 15th, 2002, investigators returned, finding piles of rotting human corpses in a storage shed, in vaults, and scattered around the property. Of course, uh, local TV jumped all over that. Sure. And uh, Fox 5 reporter Dan Ronan was the first to break the story. 
And he got it from a uh, funeral director, a funeral home director from another funeral home. Oh, interesting. Ca- called the tip in. <laughs> what if this guy, though, had just planted the bodies out there, right. railroad this other guy out of business? Nah, that didn't happen. No. It's my conspiracy mind going into yeah. overdrive. Ronan recalls the sheriff when he interviewed him a few hours after the story broke. He said, uh, the sheriff said, this is when this breaks, this is going to be on the front page of the New York Times and the lead story on the evening newscasts all over the world. Wasn't far from the truth. A federal disaster team was brought in and they brought in, they actually brought in a portable morgue. Well, that's like, that's biohazard. I mean, that's, that's strict business for sure. Are you getting to why they were just piling these bodies outside? And I'm sorry, but. Sheds are expensive. How do you have that much money that you're just like, I'm just going to use this shed for body storage? Yeah, we'll get to the explanation here or what passes for one. It was difficult to identify the remains because uh, the process was made difficult because many of the corpses were in advanced stages of decomp. Right. And if they're piled... Yeah, I imagine they're all swim, yeah, kind of together. together. Yeah, become with one the big pot, pool um, of, melty. Yep, kind of. Yeah, mm. some are a little more than skeletons as sure. well at that point. Just covered in the other, melty other people's melty yep. goo. Experts that were hired by Marsh attorneys were prepared to testify that the methods of recovery were questionable and that the methods were made more difficult because of the lack of trained experts undertaking the investigation on the Marsh property. So they were trying to get it all dismissed. Listen, it doesn't matter how not trained they were. They had piles of bodies to deal with. Yeah, let's not Not lose sight. Not lose sight of the big picture here. Right. Piles of corpses. That's That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like... You light someone's house on fire, and then you're like, well, those firefighters really should have better trucks. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sorry. That's yeah. just... Yeah. So between 1996 and the date of discovery, which was 2002, more than 2,000 bodies has been, had been sent to Tri-State. The search ultimately recovered 339 uncremated bodies. Of the 339 uncremated bodies that were discovered, only 226 have been identified. Mm. DNA testing was possible in those cases. In other cases, it was considered unlikely officials would ever be able to identify those remains. They were just too far deteriorated. Oh, or That's rugged. So what he was doing was, for some reason, at some point, just stopped cremating the, uh, the remains and just would pile them up, and then he would give the families concrete dust instead of the uh, cremation remains. I'm sorry, you said for some reason. There was no explanation, like our crematory stopped working, or well, well, I ran out of yeah. gas There's really the no, fire. no satisfactory answer here. In response to Marsh's claim that the cremation oven or retort was broken, um, I guess he, that's what he claimed at, at one point. They did tests on it, and they found it to be in working order, although subsequent examinations by some ac- experts did find faults in the operation of the ovens, but they did work. That even if the machine had broken down, proper maintenance would have kept the incinerator working, noting that most oven manufacturers have regular maintenance programs available. So it just seems like for whatever reason, he just couldn't do it anymore. 
It, maybe oh. it was a psychological thing. Like he, like emotionally, he couldn't burn, like burn bodies. Maybe. Or? How is it better to pile them though? Who knows? How's that work? He was arrested on over 300 criminal violations and was ultimately charged by the state of Georgia with 787 counts, including theft by deception, abusing a corpse, burial service-related fraud, giving false statements. Marsh was facing a possible prison sentence of several thousand years. Whoa. I have mixed emotions about that, but go ahead. The criminal cases against Marsh were settled after the uh, Georgia Supreme Court had certified for review the defense question of whether a human corpse had any pecuniary value, an issue vital to the case in order to determine that if the thefts could even be criminally prosecuted, because according to traditional common law, a corpse has no pecuniary value. He eventually pleaded guilty, was sentenced to 12 years with credit for time he had spent in custody uh, before obtaining uh, pretrial release on bond. He was released from Central State Prison in Bibb County on June 29th, uh, 2016. So, looks like he did most of his time when all is said and done. The motives behind Brent Marsh's actions are still unclear. It would have been far less trouble for him to simply cremate the remains. Right. It seems so much easier. Than to carry them out and dump them. And yeah, his statement in court when pleading guilty did nothing to, to clarify this. He said, to those of you who may have come here today looking for answers, I cannot give them to you. So it does sound kind of like he had some mental stuff going on. Well, it certainly seems like that would be a reasonable assumption. You're getting these bodies in. Your job's to put them in the oven and then give the remains back to the family. Instead, he risked serious legal issues, created more work for himself. Yeah. And let's face it, not a wonderful working environment. No. So in the end, all the parties felt that they had reached fair settlements of the lit- litigation, which included settlements for class action lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Most of the individual cases and criminal cases relating to identifying bodies, leaving only a few claims in uh, that are still outstanding in Bradley County, Tennessee. As part of the settlement reached, all the buildings of the tri-state property were raised. Uh, the property remains in a trust so that it will be preserved in peace and dignity as a secluded memorial for those whose remains were mistreated. Oh, that's nice. And to prevent crematory operations from continuing or inappropriate activities from taking place there as well. And I think that there was some concern that maybe they didn't get all the bodies out of there. Right. So they just put it in a trust and now people can't even go there. I bet there's some serious bad energy in that place. Right. Yeah. On February 7th, 2007, a week before the five-year anniversary of the discoveries, the criminal defense attorneys for Marsh revealed that psychological testing had indicated that perhaps Brent Marsh was a victim of mercury toxicity from the cremation of bodies and stated that a faulty ventilation system exposed both Marsh and his father to toxic levels of mercury. I don't know if they presented any physical evidence of that, just psychological testing. But it would seem that you'd be able to pretty easily determine if there were high mercury levels in a in a person. Right, but it was years later, so would that still remain? I'm not sure. I think because it's a heavy metal, it would probably be there forever. I suppose that's but true. But I couldn't, I'm not an expert here. Mm. Again, he was released June 29th, 2016, and he did serve his full 12-year sentence. 
The incident was used as the basis for a Law & Order Criminal Intent episode, and it was also the backdrop for the 2011 film Sakanaga, a fictionalized event by an American filmmaker whose name I can't pronounce. They certainly discourage people from going there. They've created a, a trust so mm. that nothing can be built there. Sure. But I kind of want to go there. And to camp. metal detect? Yeah. No, <laughs> not to metal detect. I want to go out there and camp out and, and record some EVPs. Oh, yeah. Not you? Meh. Yeah, you going to pass on that one? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I want to be cremated when my time comes, but I have to admit... That gave me pause. <laughs> I don't. Meh. Yeah, that's, you won't know. Yeah, that's true. Um, my mom and I were talking about this not long ago, and um, her uh, revised wishes, which sometime we should talk about this ongoing discussion. Um, her revised wishes are now that she wants to be cremated, but not her eyes, because she can't stand the idea of them sizzling in a fire. <laughs> Which I think is interesting and also crazy. Well, her wishes has, have evolved, though, because when we were talking about before she wanted a Viking funeral, she wanted you to put her on a pile of uh, dry scrub brush and light it on fire in her backyard. Yeah. And you said, Mom, don't ask me to do that. <laughs> she says, my final wishes. Well, my, f my final wishes are I don't want to ever have to do that. Yeah. So at least she's moved on. That was nice news. For me, I think. Sizzling eyeballs are weird, though. I like the idea of being, like, uh, put in one of those tree pods. So, oh, yeah. 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 But uh, I don't know how easy that is to, to get. I don't know how widely spread that technology is. Did you see that article? We, we actually, a couple of our freaks sent us links to the same article about um, an old murder being solved because on this land there was a tree that was growing that was not native to the area. Yeah. And the seed was in the corpse's stomach and had grown from... That's I incredible. I don't know how that's possible. I, 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 I'm qu I question that. You think that's a bunch of hooey? I, it might be. It might be some bologna. So anyway, I'm, I'm back to my prop my body up on a dunk tank over the over the uh, gravesite and pass out softballs idea. Sure. Yeah, that's never going to happen. Three throws for a buck. We didn't grow up wanting to be the curator. It just kind of happened. Now more of the box of And now it's time oddities. for that thing in the middle. Once again, another great story from the Strange History Bathroom Reader. This book is a wealth. The 1956 Olympics were held in Melbourne, Australia. Nine students from the University of Sydney thought it was appalling that the Olympic torch relay, which was created by the Nazis for the 1936 Berlin Games, was elevating the torch to the level of a religious icon, with thousands of Australians lining the streets of Sydney wherever the relay passed through. So they devised a plan to protest the torch with a phony relay in the real relay, cross-country athlete Harry Dillon was supposed to run through downtown Sydney and hand the torch to Mayor Pat Hills, who would then make a speech and give the torch to another runner. Moments before Dillon was to arrive, however, one of the protesters began running in the streets with a different kind of torch, a silver-painted chair leg topped with a pair of flaming underpants. The crowd laughed at the prank, but then the underwear fell off and the runner panicked and ran away. Another student took up the torch, relit the underpants, and continued to run the route. Now the police thought he was the real deal, 
So they escorted him all the way to the town hall, where he presented the flaming underpants to Mayor Hills. Truly, the flaming underpants that inspired a nation. First of all, I love stories about underpants. Right. Secondly, I really love stories about underpants if they're on fire. It was beautifully delivered, too. Well done. Thank you so much. Flaming underpants, everyone. We didn't grow up wanting to be the curator. It just kind of happened. Now more of The Box of Oddities. Received this message from Fantasia. She wrote, Hi guys, listening to your latest episode and heard you talking about trypophobia. That's, that's the thing that I have where I have this aversion to clusters or holes. It's like you said, some kind of an evolutionary thing. Right. Supposed to keep you safe, but it, I can't even look at lotus pods or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Honeycomb freaks you out too. Oh God, yes. She said, I, I also have this phobia and most people think it's dumb and it's a made up thing. But if I see lotus pods or anything similar, I will get extremely, extremely nauseous. And start shaking. I'm glad I'm learning about others who have this phobia too. Makes me feel a little bit better. Like I'm not the only one who is terrified of clusters or holes. <laughs> I am with you. Yeah, and it's, I think, um, like if you Google the name, a bunch of pictures will come up. And inevitably, you'll come across one that makes you upset. Yeah. It's not something you can avoid. I didn't know I had it until a certain period in time where I saw a picture of, I think it was sunflower seeds. Mm-hmm. And it's like it triggered it in me. And ever since then, I've suffered from it. Yeah. It's, ugh. I'm totally cool with most things like the sunflower seeds. I don't understand. Lotus pods, I get. I mean, it doesn't make me feel gross, but I get it. Mm. Um, but there are certain things like um, I've seen pictures on the infowebs uh, that are like genuinely upsetting and nauseating. Like, yeah. And it usually has to do with skin. If it upsets me. Yeah. Yeah. We had another person write in and saying that it was really interesting, that phobia. She doesn't understand it, but it's really interesting. Uh, A friend of hers has a fear of buttons. Interesting. Indeed. Indeed. Annie Hoosel, it's your turn. Okay. So I have um, this story or a... mm, No, it's not even a story. I have this for you. Okay. Um, And then we're going to play a fun game. Okay. So when I was a wee uh, lass in Orland, Maine, um, we got our first computer. And you couldn't do anything on the computer other than make greeting cards that Mm -hmm. you would like quarter fold. Or or play an 8-bit version of Jeopardy. It didn't even have that yet. Oh, my. Um, It wasn't until we got the the big floppy... um, Floppy disk. Yeah. The five and a quarter inch floppies. Yeah. And then you had to put in like D colon backslash <laughs> backslash run colon jeopardy. I miss DOS. Something like that. Anyway. Um, so what we did have was a CD-ROM of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Hmm. And so I spent a lot of time perusing. But of course, I didn't, I didn't want to learn about like Mount Vesuvius or something like that. So I would look up things that made me chuckle, uh, i.e. poop. And I learned a lot about poop and the fact that uh, a ship's deck was called a poop deck. And that just tickled me to no end. Endless hours of delight. Right. And so I was thinking about that this week. And it brought me to the conclusion that obviously my topic for today has to be feces. <laughs> okay. 
feces are mostly made up of water. About 75% actually, and the rest is made up of dead bacteria that helped us digest our food, living bacteria, protein, undigested food residue known as fiber, waste material from food, cellular linings, fats, salts, and substances released from the intestines and the liver, such as mucus. This is something that I thought was kind of interesting. I always kind of thought of our of our poop as being like food waste. Yeah. But mostly it's not. Hmm. Most, I mean, there's some in there for sure, but mostly it's water and dead bacteria. That's incredible. I, I did not realize that either. What about corn? Why does that just kind of right through? It doesn't. That's actually a misnomer. Um, corn kernels, because they are hollow, um, they the corn kernel itself doesn't uh, break down. It's too f- fibrous. Fibrous. Okay. Um, and so then when it's moving through you, uh, it fills back up with that other stuff that we talked about. Okay. And so it looks like it's still solid, but it's not. It's just the, the outside that's... Yep. It's actually not something that I researched for today. You just knew it. I just knew it. I love that about you. So your feces color is the result of a chemical called stercoblibin. And <laughs> that chemical ends up in your poop in two ways. It's the byproduct of hemoglobin in broken down blood red, red blood cells. And also comes from bile, the fluid secreted into your intestines to help digest mm-hmm. fat. Mm-hmm. In an optimally functioning digestive system, the ideal stool is a deep chocolatey color, like melted chocolate. Without sterkblublin present, poop would be a pale gray or whitish color. Stool comes in a range of colors. All shades of brown and even green are considered normal. Only rarely does stool color indicate a potentially serious intestinal condition. You want to say that line again? Yes, it just sounded like I had dentures in. A potentially serious intestinal condition. I read the autopsy report of Elvis, and one of the things that really stuck with me on this, because he had a severely impacted colon. I.e. barbiturate use. Yeah, years of barbiturate abuse. And there was something like 27 pounds of fecal matter in his colon and lower intestinal tract. And they said it was clay-like, and a lot of it was white. Yeah. He was not functioning properly. No. And I bet he just felt horrible. Oh, can you imagine that? No, I cannot. And so, yeah, that's, he just, he couldn't, uh, he couldn't purge it, and his heart gave out. That's a horrible way to go. Sure is. Or a horrible way to not go. Wow. However you look at it. Wow. Anyway, back to you. Stool color is generally influenced by what you eat as well as the amount of bile, a yellowish-green fluid that digests fats in your stool. As bile pigments travel through your gastrointestinal tract, they're chemically altered by enzymes, changing the pigments from green to brown. Hmm. So most of the time, if you have green poop, for instance, it's influenced by things like spinach or kale something like something that's a vibrant green Mm -hmm. food coloring such as in drink mixes or ice pops also iron supplements can oftentimes lead to a green color in your feces but if you have green diarrhea the color of your food may not be to blame and it's likely that your meal moved through your gut too quickly so the fat digesting bile didn't have time for those enzymes to turn it brown 
One of the many books I've read about ancient Egypt uh, claimed that some of the pharaohs actually ate gold dust so that their poop would sparkle. They have pills for that now. Do they? Yeah, you can like take these pills and your poop will come out kind of like a glittery gold color. Okay. And people buy that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yellow. Yellow is a shade also normal for some people. It's common for babies, especially those who breastfeed. But if you have yellow poop that looks greasy and or smells very bad, it may have too much fat in it. It could be the sign that your body's not digesting your food properly. For example, if you have celiac disease and your body can't handle uh, gluten, um, which comes from wheat, barley, rye, if you have a condition uh, and you eat foods that have gluten, uh, your intestines won't work as they should. Mm. And you could it could lead to like not pleasant yellow poo. Touching base with the white or light-colored poop. Medicines for diarrhea, like bismuth, uh, can sometimes turn your poop pale or clay-colored. Um, so can barium, which is a chalky chalky liquid that you drink before you get x-rays of the sure. upper part of your digestive tract. I had to do that once. Um, I was given this giant jug, and I was told I had a certain amount of time to drink it. And I was like, I'm not going to be able to. And they were like, well, you have to. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to. And they were like, well, if you don't, we're going to stick this tube up your butt, and we're going to put it in that way. And I was like, but I can't. There's too much of this, and it's horrible, and I can't. And they were like, all right, then. And so that's how that went. <laughs> um, all righty, then. A more serious cause of white or light-colored poop, as we talked about, is that lack of bile. Uh, bile's made in the liver. It's stored in your gallbladder, and it's released into your small intestine to help you digest your food. So if there's not enough bile to give your poop that brown color, it could be a sign of a problem along the way. Liver diseases, such as hepatitis, can keep bile from getting into your body waste. So that blockage in the tubes uh, can happen because of gallstones or a tumor or any other reasons. If you're having white poop, you need to see your doctor, basically. Right, right. Black poop. Black poop is um, very common for babies for the first few days after they're born. After that point, it may be because you ate something very dark colored or you took a medicine or supplement that causes black poop. Very rarely, black poop is a sign of a more serious problem that would be bleeding in the upper part of your digestive tract. So uh, things like iron supplements, business, black licorice, sometimes blueberries can give the appearance of black poop, but blood in your upper tract making its way through would turn black by the time it got down to your anus, and, uh, and that's why you would have the black poop. How much time should you spend inspecting your poop? That's an interesting question. I think most of the time you don't really need to inspect. Just give a glance. I had a friend who was obsessed with it. And he actually would fish it out of the toilet with chopsticks. That's not true. <laughs> it's true. No, it's not. It's absolutely true. His uh, his name is Randy. I'm going to leave it at that. His name was his name is Randy. Ulcers, bleeding sores. Mm -hmm. Sometimes acid reflux. Chopsticks, it's real. Just, if you don't think... <laughs> just just never go to his house for sushi. <laughs> if you don't think your black poop came from what you ate, you need to talk to your doctor. 
Again, when we're talking about red poop, it uh, could be caused by something you ate. Jello, tomato soup, certain red drinks can change the color of your stool. If it's bright red and you think it looks like blood, then it's from blood in your lower digestive tract because it hasn't had that time mm-hmm. to turn black. That would so, be bad too. Right. But that can be caused by things like um, colitis, polyps in your colon, or hemorrhoids, mm-hmm. which um, I have learned about in my time with you. And I feel like we've grown together. Yeah. And uh, right. it's really special. There's nothing I won't share with you. Aww. Aww. <clears throat> so there's color. Let's talk about quantity. Starting with an average daily amount of about 14 ounces, the total poop production in a week's time from an average human person would be about six pounds. Really? So in a year, a single person, on average, yields about 320 pounds of poop. That's about the size of a panda. (laughs) That's an interesting comparison. I discovered this by checking out a website that converts the weight that you put in into other things. I weigh as much as 716 blueberry muffins. This is a wonderful website. Let's see what you weigh as much as. You weigh as much as 176 basketballs. That's not a real fun one. You weigh as much as 4,989 sushis. I don't know if I should be alarmed or flattered or hungry. We're back to the chopsticks. Dang it. So anyway, there's some stuff about poop. I got on a real colon cleanse kick for a while. Yeah, it was a weird time it was for a weird, everyone. weird time for everybody involved. Um, but uh, I never looked forward to going to the bathroom as much as I did during that, uh, that period of time. <clears throat> I remember you describing it once as snaking around the toilet yeah, bowl. Yeah, wrapped it right around the toilet bowl one time. I would estimate probably three feet long, something like that. It's a big panda. It's a big panda. So thanks for listening and sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about this episode. I liked it. I learned things. It was a learning experience. Yeah. And my voice is almost back to normal. You've done well. Thank you. And uh, thanks to everybody who sent cat get well messages. It was really sweet and I appreciate it. And I hadn't thought to try cinnamon tea, but I mean, besides being helpful, delicious. The Box of Oddities, it now falls from the sky twice a week, and we will see you on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly. Fly it proudly. Mm. No. Fly it proudly. No. The first one was better. Fly proudly. Oh, that was nice. I like that. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to to beseech you for assistance. The box of oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you. 
to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.